Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Veterans Day brings up some of the hardest chapters in my own ministry. I remember going to San Diego in 1989, and there was a man who came through the line, and he said, let me introduce myself to you. I'm Captain Mike. I said, well, hello, Captain Mike, and he had on a military hat. He says, yes, I'm here every week. I said, Captain Mike, uh, we welcome you. There were times that he might have said and done things inappropriately in the life of the church, but everybody knew Captain Mike. And there were other veterans that would kind of put their arms around him and take care of him. Oftentimes, we would find him drunk on the lawn of the church. And then there came one Sunday that all kinds of uh, police were out in front to announce to us that Captain Mike had come to the church lawn that night before, and he died. To this day, I would like to think that it was him coming to the place where he palpably experienced the grace of God in a place where he could be at home. I was doing a series of talks in the state of Michigan, and they had a large gathering on uh, Sunday, and then they would have smaller groups during the week. And so here was this group of about 50, 60 people that were coming there. And there were two guys uh, that had their Vietnam vets hats on. And so I would kind of give them a bad time there, and they'd give me a bad time. And we were kind of joking around at different times. And then it came down to the very last day that we were there, and I was talking about the multitude of Vietnam vets that have been on the lawn of my church, their minds long gone. And the fact that maybe there's some corner of heaven where we're going to need some forgiveness for how we brought these men and women back. And as I was telling the story of a guy like Captain Mike, suddenly I broke down in tears and cried uncontrollably. My wife doesn't like it when I do that. And there was a long pause, and then we went on. After our time together, these two Vietnam vets came to me, and they said, we wanted to have a word with you alone. They said, your tears were the best gift that we have received since coming back from Vietnam. The vast majority of people that have been mentally troubled have been the vets. The vets that I've known in, in, in church life, we lost one last year from the Second World War, and I've got another one, 98 years of age, very good friend in Ohio, who did heroic things it's so important for us to remember. As Frederick Buechner said, this is a room 
calls remember. This is where we remember the things we cannot afford to forget. Not so much in a uh, nostalgic type of way and, and inability to go forward, but there are certain names and faces we can never afford to forget. We honor today all our veterans. It was Thomas Merton who said that God comes to us in Scripture, inside ourselves, and in the face of the stranger. Now hold on to that because those things are profoundly true. But just for now, hold on to it. The texts before us have two fish stories. One of them is very messy. The story of Jonah is very messy. And uh, there's a mysterious one, the call of the disciples. So let's start with the messy one. Uh, it's the story of Jonah. It's a parable. Actually, Jonah has become, uh, among my favorite books of the Hebrew Bible, because I found so many parallels in there with my own life. That's where it speaks profoundly to me. So here's Jonah. And uh, in these parables, I remember as a kid, I was in total shock when my mother told me that the parables Jesus told were not true stories, but were stories to illustrate a truth. Well, you know, as a kid, you're very literal. You mean they're not, they're not true? Well, no, they're used to illustrate something. It's in time later that we can understand that. It was Robin Meyer, the fine UCC minister, uh, referred uh, from a pulpit uh, that I served in Ohio. He said, um, he talked about the creation myth, and then he stopped dead in his tracks, and he said this. He says, do you know what I mean by myth? He said, myths are stories that are not literally true, but speak to the deepest truths in the human family. That's why we would say in a church like this one, we take the Bible seriously. We do not take it literally. So here's Jonah's story. The word of the Lord came to him, and he says, go to Nineveh. He says, no, I ain't going to do it. I, I'm just not going to do it. And uh, so he goes off towards Tarshish. Tarshish was the uh, Las Vegas of that particular day. And he's off. And then some guys uh, think he's kind of bad luck on the boat. And they decide to throw him overboard. And they do. And then he is swallowed up by a large, big fish. It was not a whale. I know that's a great disappointment to those of you who have had that whale in your mind since childhood. But anyway... And so then it says in that text, uh, Jonah was finally spit up on the shore he ran away from. Which tells you something about the things that we can run away from and the things that we cannot. I can see Jonah sitting there with a little bit of seaweed hanging over his ear. And the text says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. Merton said, God comes to us inside ourselves. It seems to me that we can't hear the voice of God when we are running away from a shore we must walk upon. There are certain things that we just have to face. Talk to these uh, friends of yours in AA, or some of them that I knew that were in Addicts Anonymous. 
They know about this. The men I meditate with in prison and will again tomorrow night, they know about this. You can run away. You just try to run away, but you can't run away from that which must be faced in life. What would that mean to you? I know what it means in my own life and the things that I sought to avoid. You know, we who call ourselves Christian must hear the Word of God a second time. You know, many clergy I have known, some that I have not known, it's well known that many clergy are in crisis, not to mention the fact that we are not recruiting clergy any longer. Candidates are hard to find, very different from the past. Part of the problem is that clergy, the ones I've talked to, they feel a call of God at the campfire. And then after seminary, they end up in committees, which is as far away from a campfire as you can get. They start with kumbaya and end up in budget meetings. Suddenly they can't hear the voice from around the campfire. And oftentimes they need to hear the word of the Lord a second time. I can remember my own life. I can remember in my own life, it's only fair that I tell you, oh, the Word of God, the first time. Uh, just like Bill Nelson, I had a minister in the church who came to me one time and said, son, you need to consider being a minister. I said, okay, well, what I need to do? He said, well, stop goofing off in high school and I'll take you to a college where you can go. And anyway, uh, he was my mentor and uh, I, I loved it. And then as a senior in high school, I was preaching by the campfire there with my youth group, and all of the kids came by and said, Dick, you really do need to be a minister. And the clarity of that calling uh, was a blessing. And I ran into the woods. I remember in the foothills of California, I ran into the woods, and I was crying because, because of that great clarity. I hadn't had that before. You know? I just felt like I knew what I had to do. And it was great. But I remember another time that I figured to have ran into the woods where the call of ministry was kind of lost. I was going through a tough time. I was full of shame. Felt like a total failure. And thought that I owed it to this church that I was serving to resign and get out of there. And so I wrote that letter. I kind of felt like Dante Alighieri in his Divine Comedy. In the middle of the journey of my life, I found myself within a dark place where the way was totally lost. That was me. And many of you here have had that moment. The clear voice of calling, gone. This church would be better off without me, and so I wrote that letter. And then something happened. Um, there was a man in the congregation who was a uh, non-educated man, very good home builder, great guy, <clears throat> always loved everybody, was good to the kids in the church and everybody. And uh, he would go on those work camps with us and uh, tell us how to build some good uh, homes down in Tijuana. So he said, hey, look, I want to have lunch with you. And so I thought he was going to affirm my decision to get the heck out of there. And so we sat down for lunch, and we were just talking about all kinds of things. And... Um, 
then uh, he paid the check, and we were about to leave, and he said, oh, my God, he said, I forgot, I forgot why I asked you to come to lunch. And I said, what might that be? He said, you know, for five years, you have suffered with us. Things are not good with you now. It is our turn to suffer with you. Do not leave. We are ready to suffer with you. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. I'm standing here today as much because of Bill Plambeck and his kindness, his affirmation. I think we need to hear uh, the stranger, as Merton talked about. Why do we need to hear about the stranger? Well, uh, it's a very important biblical story is the one of Abraham and Sarah, you know, going down there into Egypt looking for food and some help. And, and uh, so here's Abraham <clears throat> standing in front of the Pharaoh and um, his wife, Sarah. I'm just going to be brief. This woman was good looking. She was really good looking. Now, Pharaoh, he's got all these wives, but he's always looking for another one, especially good looking ones like Sarah. And so he says to Abraham, Abraham, uh, who's that woman with you? And he said, uh, <clears throat> as he stammered and thought he knew he would be killed, if he said it was his wife, he says, uh, <clears throat> um, this is my sister. This is my sister, Sarah. Okay, so Pharaoh takes her in as one of his wives and, and uh, has uh, all those relationships that we knew that he was having with all of the other women. And then it comes to Pharaoh that, that Abraham lied to him. And he pulls Abraham in and starts lecturing him. He says, why did you lie to me? Why did you lie to me and cause me to commit adultery with your wife? And he gets down on Abraham for his terrible lie. So remember that the first lecture on ethics in the Hebrew Bible comes from a heathen, Pharaoh, outside the family of faith, not someone inside. My point, we need to hear the voice outside. The most important questions inside us as a faith community need to come from the outside. What is the voice outside of Church of the Beatitudes that is in a whisper or a loud voice saying, we need your good gifts. We need you. Our church needs uh, people outside the church to remind the church that, that we are not in charge anymore. In this culture, we are not in charge any longer. There's a, a book called The End of White Christian America by Jones. I would recommend it to you. The point he makes is that once white Christians owned the culture, uh, we called the shots, and now we will have influence on culture, he says, to the degree that we practice what we preach, to the degree that we are tolerant of religions other than our own and voices other than our own and colors other than our own. 
He said, you have no idea what we can learn from other places. And you have no idea what I have learned from Buddhism and go to, to Buddhist countries, and Hinduism and Islam, and especially the African church that lasts three and a half hours. And um, I remember going to an African church one time and and uh, this place was just burgeoning. They had all kinds of choirs around, and they would sing at different times, and all thing went on for three and a half hours. So, people of God in this church, please lay off the clergy if you think they preach too long. That, that would just be a personal favor, I guess, along the way. So, I, I did my traditional 20 minutes, and, and I, I, I preached, and, and this woman came on up to me afterwards, and... Um, and she said, uh, you know, you need to preach longer. I said, I know. I get that all the time in the American church, which was a lie, but anyway. And I said, well, you know, I just kind of preach like I normally do. I, I, I'm sorry. She said, well, Dr. Wing, I need to let you know that the average person walked five miles to hear you preach today. And when they get here, they want it to last. They would like the worship service to last as long as the walk coming here and going home. And I recognized I was in a very different world. But we have this messy fish story here that we will inevitably land on the shore you run away from. The only way around it is through it. We are now with a group of people, many of you here, reading the book Quietly Courageous by Gil Rendell. We are ready to dive into it. We've done some community building now, ready to dive into some of the things, and he has some questions. Uh, and Jim is going to help us today to keep those questions in front of us that will not go away. The only way around certain things are going to be through them. But I had this, this weird thing. I, 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 Jim and I had... Uh, lunch this last week, I had this weird thing run through my mind. And uh, you, you can tell me afterwards that I'm totally crazy out of my mind. This, this church started in the early 1950s with Bill Nelson meeting with this number of people on a good day. This number. However many are here, he decided this was going to be a good place to start a church, and so he started that. And so here he is, and we know all of the history of the ups and downs and woes and everything else, and we know what's happening in culture. We know what's happening with the, with the church in America right now. But maybe what goes around comes around. And we're sitting here with the same number of people that Bill started with and a very different culture than he started and lived through. But you know something? You have property, you have gifts, you have possibilities that were not given to those people at that time. Yes, they honed it on out, kept working hard forward. But this is the number of people that Bill had to work with, and that's what we're working with now. And we don't believe that God is done with this place at all and are anxious to take some of the next steps. Well, the other is a mysterious fish story that we've lifted up today. Mysterious, yes, indeed. 
It's the call to the disciples. I will make you fish for people. It's an amazing story. He says, follow me. And, and the crazy thing about it is they just drop everything and they follow him. And please understand the Jesus method that we've got to keep clear in our mind because I, this is the only way I've seen people learn in the churches I've served. We don't think our way into a new way of acting. We act our way into a new way of thinking. We don't think our way into a new way of acting. We can use all the logic and the cajoling and all of that kind of stuff, and it doesn't work. It doesn't really make the difference. I had a guy call me. I hadn't heard, talked to him in like 25 years, and he called up, and, and he talked about the time that, that his life was changed by the experience in our church. He said, I'm sorry to tell you, Dick, it was nothing that you said, but it was all of those work camps and those summer camps with kids and all of that poverty that you dragged me into. Those people totally changed my life. We don't think our way into a new way of acting. We act our way. The words of Jesus to those first disciples as they were wanting to know the strategic plan and where they were going to get lunch that day and where they'd stay at night. And Jesus simply said, just come and see. Not many details in that strategic plan. Just come and see. I read recently the story of a woman who was in a Bible study for 20 years, and, and she was asked to come to an AIDS conference in the early 1980s, and so she went. And uh, she concluded that week uh, with her Bible study, as she came to talk to them, she says, understanding in a Bible study is easy, following is difficult. And then she told all of the women sitting there that she had just been to an AIDS conference, and somebody really got on her and said, look, you people in the church, come and help these people. You know, come and help these guys. They are needing companions. They're needing help. They need people to take care of them. And she said to the ladies before her that understanding Jesus is easy and to follow is difficult. And they concluded together in their Bible study, meeting for 20 years, not involved in social action of any kind, they decided that these men with AIDS needed a grandmother. And by God, we're going to be grandmothers to these men, and they did. I believe that we serve a, a God who sent Jesus as a gift. Jesus said he wants us to catch people. Anybody who's fallen, anybody who's falling down from whatever cause wants us to catch them as they fall. Jesus wants us indeed to catch people falling through the cracks. We don't even know they exist, who are suffering. People falling down and falling through the cracks. People who are lost. These women, their Bible study group, determine that's what it means to follow. 
And this woman said, well, you know, what we're doing, it's a little thing. She said, it's a little thing. It's an ordinary thing. But it is something we could do. May God help us. In this blessed congregation, who has the gift of everything that you need and the gift of each other, May God bless us in this congregation as we discover the little and ordinary things we can be and do for the extraordinary purposes of heaven. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving Beatitudes Radio empowering people to enrich society <laughs>